You can turn with me then uh, for our sermon text to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28, it's also on the back of the sermon insert. Before this chapter, uh, last week we looked at how Esau was rejected for his profane unbelief when it came time to inherit the blessing. Isaac was corrected. He meant to bless Esau, but instead he blessed uh, Jacob, and he submitted to God with that correction. Jacob obtained the blessing by God's grace through faith, but there would be bad consequences for his unlawful deception of his father. Right away, Esau desired to kill Jacob. Therefore, Rebekah sought to protect Jacob by convincing Isaac to send Jacob away to Haran. Uh, and she uh, appealed to, the, to one thing they agreed on, which was their disappointment with Esau's marriages of Canaanite women. Uh, and so Jacob, is, who, who loved to stay at the tent, he, who loved to dwell with his mother at, at home, he would soon be sent far away from his tent, running for his life, as well as in search of a wife. So we come now to Genesis chapter eight, uh, sorry, 28, as we pick up where we left off last time. Then, Jacob, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took his as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go 
and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for recording these things for our instruction, for handing them down and preserving them for us. We pray that you would teach and instruct us now through your word, that you would guide the preaching of your word, that it might be faithfully and clearly proclaimed, that you would stir us up by the remembrance of these things to faith and to perseverance, to godliness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jacob sets out from home. He doesn't have much with him. doesn't seem to barely have anything as he goes out. When he spends the night, he's not even spending the night in town. He has a stone, it seems, as his pillow. But as he goes out, he is twice assured of God's presence and blessing, first by his father and then by God himself. Jacob would undergo trial, this trial of going out, undergo this discipline far from home, but in the midst of it, God would be with him and would bring him back to the promised land. Do you remember, can you think of any other time in scripture where Jacob or Israel has to go away from the promised land, maybe even to Mesopotamia, and there's a promise of returning to the land. Yeah, you can think of sometimes, or even later, Jacob's going to go to a foreign land called Egypt, and his people are going to eventually come back. You know, this theme is going to uh, appear again and again, not only in Jacob's life, but in the life of his people. They're going uh, away, um, in this case, somewhat also like Israel later as a kind of discipline, but also a trial, a refining of the remnants that would return in due time to the land of promise, and God would be with them. When you go through trials or difficulties, when you face uncertainty or new situations, remember Jacob as he faced this new situation, very different than the ones he had faced before. I hope that when you I hope that those who are youth here, when you leave home, it will be under better circumstances than this one, that your brother won't be trying to kill you. Hopefully you leave home for a different reason, a better reason than that. But you can still remember Jacob as he faced the uncertainty of establishing his own household, of getting married. 
He was probably older than you will be when you leave home. Of course, people live longer than two. He's probably something like 70 years old when you calculate all the ages. But it's a little different because they also lived to well past 100 at the time. Uh, but he sets out. He doesn't know what's in store for him. He's never been to this place. Uh, in fact, his father had never been to that place, uh, although his mother had come from there to Haran, the place where Abraham had set out to go to the promised land. Jacob did not know exactly what to expect, but he was assured in these ways that God did not only look out for his parents, was not only with his father Isaac, but was with him too, and would go with him wherever he went, not just in his father's household, but wherever he would go. This chapter can be split up into three parts, although I'm not going to use them as three points. We'll get to that in a minute, but I want to overview the text. First of all, Jacob is sent away with a blessing, a direction and a blessing by his father Isaac. Isaac now faithfully uh, plays the part of Abraham, as Abraham had done for Isaac. Now Isaac does to Jacob. He passes on the blessing to his son, this time with full knowledge of what he is doing. Uh, He knows now that it is Jacob that he is blessing. And he also directs him to take a wife from Bethuel's house, as Abraham's servant had taken a wife for Isaac from Bethuel's house. And yet, without forgetting the promised land, that there is a promise for us, for your offspring, that this land that God had promised to Abraham, that we will inherit it. Don't forget that when you go away. Now Esau sees what happens, and it like, it's like the, for the first time he realizes that Isaac is not pleased with his marriages um, as he sees him send away his brother, saying, don't do what Esau did. And then uh, Esau especially seems to want to please his father. It says because he see his father was displeased with this, that he went and did something. Uh, again, Esau being kind of favored by his father and Jacob by his mother. But he, he tries to please his father now, uh, but in, instead he ends up aggravating his polygamy. He had already taken two wives, which is not what his father did, but then they were Canaanites, and now he adds a third wife uh, from the people of from Ishmael's family. And so he's kind of a counterfeit here of Jacob, uh, an a imitation but a, a pseudo-repentance. He does not really repent of what he has done, uh, or so show repentance for any of his sins, but he does try to please his father, and here ends up just adding one more wife to his family, uh, which was not good. Now, Jacob saw a vision then as he went out. Jacob fled from his brother, went out directed by his father, was at a place near a city called Luz, but it would soon become known as a different name. But at first, it's just called here a place, any old place. Didn't, think, didn't know it was special, didn't think it was special. And as he's sleeping with this stone at his head, he sees the vision of a ladder and angels going up and down the ladder. And at the top of the ladder, the Lord. And then the Lord explains the vision and gives the promises to Isaac. Just as God had spoken to Abraham, then he spoke to Isaac, now he speaks to Jacob. And he re- renews the covenant each, with each generation. Uh, as he reaffirms these promises. Sometimes we talk of the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant with Abraham, but we could also talk about the Isaacian covenant and the Jacobian covenant, you know, the covenant with Isaac, covenant with Jacob, as it's renewed each time uh, with them. 
as was according with the circumcision they received even when they were infants. Now, when Jacob wakes up, he remarks on the significance of this vision. Well, this is the house of God, the gate of heaven. And then he sets up, sets up that stone, consecrates it, and makes a vow to the Lord. Now, as we look at this passage, what I want us to come away with is the fact that God is with his people. God will keep his people. God will do this wherever they go. God will be with you and keep you. Therefore, God's people should not prove ungrateful, but rather respond uh, with devotion and worship as Jacob committed himself to do. God is with his people, and his people should respond with gratitude. So God is with his people and will keep them wherever they go. We see this, first of all, from the promises mentioned by Isaac. Uh, Note Isaac's uh, faith now as he passes this on to the next generation, his repentance from what he had previously tried to do. He reaffirms the blessing upon Jacob. And he passes on the the blessing of God himself, that that Jacob would be heir of Abraham's blessing, that he would increase, that there would be generational continuity, not only Jacob, but to his children too, that they would become a company of peoples. That describes the church very well today, right? Uh, One people, but of many nations. Uh, That's as this blessing would go out from Jacob and his offspring to all the nations of the earth, that they would form a company, a people, a church, and that they would receive the promised inheritance. There's clear echoes also of Eden, uh, blessing him that may God make you fruitful and multiply, just as Adam and Eve were supposed to originally be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the image of God, who would reflect him and his glory throughout the earth. So by grace, God's people is restored to this same mission, the same goal, uh, that they would fill the earth with the glory of God. But these promises then are reaffirmed by the vision that Jacob sees in his dream. There is a ladder set on the earth and going all the way to heaven. On that ladder, there are angels ascending up and descending down. And at the top, there is the Lord. Now, this vision is explained when you connect it with the promises that, the, that God speaks, as well as what Jesus will say in John 1. The promise is that God is with Jacob, with his offspring, is with him, and will be with Jacob wherever he goes. And this is signified by this ladder connecting heaven and earth, and the angels going up and down on this ladder, that there is a connection here, a union, a communion between heaven and earth going down right to Jacob, where God sends out his angels to protect his people. The latter represents the communion of heaven and earth, the link between the two. The Tower of Babel was a counterfeit of this latter. Do you remember when the people tried building the Tower of Babel? They built the city, they built a tower, this is going to go all the way up into the heavens to show how we are great and to make a name for ourselves and let's construct it and use the power that we have lest we be scattered. But God put that to an end. He confused their languages, and the tower remained unfinished. That was not the way to return to heaven by man's might and pride. 
If you had asked a Babylonian, what does Babel mean? They would have said, Babel means the gate of the God. But Israelites knew that its true meaning was confusion, just like we would think in English. Babel, babble, babble, babble. Just a bunch of babbling. No, the true gate of heaven was given by God to his covenant people. It was not built by man to the heavens. Rather, Jacob here does not do anything. He's sleeping. He is passive. He is for seemingly forsaken. And yet, there it is, a ladder from heaven to earth. The word for ladder is very general. It could be a stairway, even a ramp of some kind. But, you know, like the way a ladder connects something above with something below. Maybe even have in mind the kind of image of a ziggurat, which would have steps up to the very heavens where the God would dwell in paganism. Well, here it is the true ladder between earth and heaven. And when Jesus came on earth, he told Nathanael, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on what? On the Son of Man. The latter is a type of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of the Savior, the mediator between God and man. It is through Christ that we have the help of the angels, that we have the help of God. This is mediated through Christ. He is that ladder that connects God and his people so that God is with us. He is God with us, Emmanuel. So the salvation and help of God, including the ministry of angels, comes through Christ on the basis of his redemptive work, on the basis of his death and resurrection. The angels of God are sent out to watch over his people, to be ministers of God for their good. As Hebrews uh, Hebrews 1 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? God would command his angels to keep guard and watch over Jacob and to be with him, uh, that God would be with him wherever he goes. God promises, again reaffirms his promises to Jacob, promises of the land on which you're sleeping, this very land will be the inheritance of you and your offspring. That your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and spread abroad in every direction. Numerical growth, geographical growth. That there will be worldwide blessing among all the nations through this offspring. And finally, that promise of blessing and presence. That promise of fellowship with God that had been given to Abraham and to Isaac He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, I will see to the fulfillment of these promises. I will not forsake you, but will see that they are done. Not like he's saying, I'm going to leave you at some point. Uh, These promises are, uh, are faithful and true, and God will continue to be with him. Uh, And he's even now the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Now, Jesus is the heir of these promises. We participate in them through him. The Father has promised to make the Son, uh, he has promised his Son to make the earth and its nations his inheritance, to make his people like the dust of the earth, to bless all the nations through him. Then Jesus, in turn, as that ladder, as that mediator, He blesses his disciples and sends the blessing of God upon you. He gives you a share in his kingdom. He commissions his church to make the nations his disciples. And what does he promise to do at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew? 
I will be with you to the end of the age. These things will come to pass. I will be with you so that these promises will be fulfilled. Now, Jacob initially responds with with awe, with reverent fear. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God, the gates of heaven, because he had just seen heaven opened right there. He named it Bethel, which means house of God. Beth, house, El, God, Bethel. Like Mount Sinai, it was holy ground because of God's revelation of himself there. It was also an important place because it was in the promised land. It was the place to which God would bring him back. There, uh, Jacob would worship God in that place. Later, when Israel settled in the land and Phinehas was the high priest, the tabernacle was put at Bethel, and there they offered God worship too. When Jacob finally returned to the land after that sojourn in Egypt... But now in the New Testament, the promised land is the whole earth. The Canaan no longer has this special significance, but in every place they will worship him in spirit and in truth, as Jesus told the Samaritan woman. God's house? What is God's house? The author of Hebrews says, We are God's house, if we hold fast to him. That we are living stones, Peter says, being built up to a house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Christ. God's house and temple is his church as they meet in every place. He There he manifests his grace and his favor through the word and through the sacraments. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Not like there's anything particularly special about the community center, but about the assembly of the saints here as we worship God, as we hear his word. God is with his people then wherever they go. As you go out throughout the week, wherever you go, just as Jacob went out from Bethel and went out to wherever he was going, God would remain with him, not just when he lived in Bethel. So God is also with you, and then you return to Bethel to worship the Lord, to give thanks for his blessing. It's important to note that God manifested his presence at Bethel uh, for Jacob, But then later, Bethel became an abomination because the kings of Israel set up a golden calf in in Bethel to keep the people away from Jerusalem. It became an abomination. That was later true of Shiloh, where the glory was there and then departed, even of Jerusalem, the holy place, the holy city, which then was later compared to Sodom and to Babylon in Revelation. The holy places where the glory departed due to apostasy. No place, no particular church is guaranteed God's presence without true religion. The churches in Revelation learned that. They were urged to be faithful, but if they fell away, the candlestick could be removed. Much less would Rome be guaranteed any preservation perpetually, as the Roman church might claim. Uh, But all people, all churches are told to be, remain faithful to their Lord, uh, lest they be pruned from the tree. Uh, as Romans 11, that very epistle to the church in Rome itself, uh, said, uh, fear lest you be taken away as well. They were broken off, the apostate Jews, for a lack of faith. He can graft them back in. He can take you out if you do not hold fast to him by faith. So it was a special place, uh, but it came with obligations to worship the Lord and to treat it truly like a house of God. 
Now, that leads us to our second point. God's people should not prove ungrateful to God's presence, to God's shepherding, to his uh, keeping of you wherever you go, but respond with devotion and worship. Isaac directed uh, Jacob, first of all, in the way of the Lord, even before this vision. In blessing him, he also directed him. Perhaps he had been negligent before this in not guiding Esau, uh, Esau and Isaac very well, but now he resumes that task like his father before him and says, you know, don't take a wife from the Canaanites and don't stay too long in that land beyond the river. Remember, there's a promised land back here. Now, Isaac didn't even go to that land beyond the river. Circumstances changed now. Jacob himself is going to seek this wife in that land, but he's still reminded of the land to which he is to return. Don't assimilate into the Canaanites. Don't assimilate into the Mesopotamians. Remember your identity as the heir of the promise. Marry well. He directed his son to marry one of Laban's daughters. There's a little choice, not a lot of choice, but at least among Laban's daughters, uh, he is to marry one of them. But this is good direction from his father, that he might keep the way of the Lord to obtain a good marriage, to continue this on in the next generation. In general, the heirs of the covenant need to resist assimilation to the world and to follow the Lord, to keep their eyes on the promises, and to build up the next generation to do likewise. But then when Jacob sees the vision, he responds with a vow. Uh, Even though the vow is couched in conditional terms, if, it's not an expression of doubt, but as vows, it was an expression of faith and commitment. Now, this is the first vow we read of in Scripture, but it's not the last one. Uh, It would become something referenced throughout Scripture. A biblical vow, which is more specific than the way we use the word in English. Today, in English, we often use it just to refer to any solemn promise. Sometimes we call uh, the marriage covenant wedding vows. But in the Bible, vows are particularly made to God as an act of worship to God. It's a kind of prayer to God in which you make a promise and commitment to Him. Uh, appealing to him fulfill, to, to help, to fulfill his promises. It's like an oath, except instead of invoking God to witness what you assert or promise to another person, you God, call God to witness that what I say to you is true, or that I will do this thing to you, it's invoking God in a promise that you make to God himself. Our confession of faith says, A vow is not to be made to any creature, but to God alone, and that it may be accepted It is to be made voluntarily, out of faith and conscience of duty, in way of thankfulness for mercy received, or for the obtaining of what we want, whereby we more strictly bind ourselves to necessary duties, or to other things, so far and so long as they may fitly conduce thereunto. And so here Jacob binds himself more strictly to the things he was already supposed to do, and also things to to show his gratitude for these blessings. He based his vow upon faith in God's promise, and he bound himself to be faithful, to not be ungrateful for these blessings, that he would commit to show his gratitude to the Lord when he blesses him in this way. He bound himself to inwardly worship God as his God, to outwardly worship God at Bethel itself, to make it a house of God, And then part of that, to give God a tithe of what he had gained. He didn't really have much with him. He didn't even have probably an animal to offer a sacrifice if he wanted to. But when he returned, when God bring him back, then he would do this thing. So Jacob was not saying, 
I'm skeptical about all this, and I'm only going to own you as my God once you do all these things. Uh, But rather he's saying, O Lord, fulfill these things for me as you have promised, for I promise I will not prove ungrateful, but I will hold fast to you, and I will give thanks to you. As Calvin says, in these words, Jacob binds himself to never apostatize from the true worship of the one God. We can be misled a little bit by the conditional nature of the vow, and that's true of most vows in Scripture, that they are uh, conditional. But they don't function as a bargain or as an expression of doubt, but as a prayer that appealed to the promises and as a commitment to prove grateful for God's help. For example, in Numbers 21, verse 2, it says, Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. They were supposed to devote them to destruction anyhow. These were Canaanite cities. They're not saying that they would only obey God if he blessed them, um, or, or bargaining with him as if they had anything to bargain with, but they were appealing to him for help and committing themselves to respond appropriately to his blessing. Numbers goes on to say that he heard the voice of Israel like it was a prayer and gave over the Canaanites, and the Israelites then fulfilled their vow. Um, so just to draw from one more commentator, uh, Matthew Poole, Puritan, put it this way, Jacob speaks not thus as if he doubted of the truth of God's promises, or would like a mercenary person make a bargain with God, but rather supposeth that God will do this for him as he in effect, had promised, and thereupon obliges himself to a grateful return to God for this mercy. And so, Jacob is saying, if you do these things, if you fulfill these promises, I'm not going to just forget them and uh, abandon you and prove faithless and ungrateful. I'm going to resolve now and commit myself to follow through, to pay you the tenth, to, to hold fast to you as my God, and to worship you here when I return here at Bethel, where have you revealed yourself to me? This is also the, the second time in Genesis we come across the tithe, or a tenth. Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek after uh, the war, spoils of war. And here Jacob vows to give to the Lord a tenth of his gain upon his return. The New Testament doesn't explicitly mention Uh, the tenth, uh, probably because many Christians were giving more than a tenth at the time due to their situation. But it does speak of giving money or resources cheerfully and gratefully uh, for the same purposes as the tithe was used uh, for ministries of word and worship and mercy. And so the the tenth uh, remains a good guide as a fit proportion of a person's increase to give back to the Lord. So, we should learn here from Jacob as he responds to the vision, as he responds to the promises, uh, to, to commit ourselves to give thanks for his blessings. As Jacob was supposed to keep himself from being assimilated into the Canaanites, but to remember his promise, so you must not forget the promises of God in your journey. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As you set out on a new project, or set out from home, or set out on any new task, 
Seek first the kingdom of God, and do not be assimilated. Rather, be devoted to the Lord. And as Jacob committed himself to hold fast to the Lord and to give thanks for his blessings, so commit yourself to do uh, a holy resolve and commitment and purpose of will is an important thing. As, as Calvinists, we know that it's not of our own will that we first choose Christ, or it's, that's not the origin of it, that God renews our will, but he renews our will so that we exercise our will, so that we can commit with firm resolve that I will follow you, Lord, to the end. I will never depart from you. We make these resolves based on God's grace, but we ought to make the resolve uh, and, and hold fast to our resolve. Renew that commitment then. Your baptism engages you with this kind of vow already as the circumcision committed Jacob. But then we renew it ourselves as we profess faith and obedience to Christ, as we say those questions in front of the congregation, that yes, I, will, I resolve to, to obey my Lord and Savior, even as I have owned Him as my Savior and committed myself to Him. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, especially as you encounter trials or set out on a new project, appeal to the promises of God in prayer and commit yourself to the Lord beforehand that you would both now and in the future uh, respond with worship and thanks. And then, having done so, don't fail to pay your vows. It's better to not vow and not pay than to vow and not pay. Uh, Do not prove ungrateful or unfaithful. As he blessed you, as he blessed you from week to week, cleave to him then as your God, with faith in him, devotion unto him, obedience unto him, from day to day, worship the Lord as Jacob did privately and then publicly as he would at Bethel. There's no hiding this building of an altar that he would later do, that he committed himself to do. Worship the Lord at his house here in the assembly of the people. As the psalmists many times say, I will praise him in the great congregation. I will worship the Lord and declare his praise. We can give offerings. We should give offerings as as part of the, the reverence that is due to the Lord, an expression of thanksgiving for the ways that he has blessed us, and to offer him a sacrifice of thanks. To followers of Christ, those who have this ladder of mercy extended to you from heaven by the grace of God, God is with you, and he will keep you wherever you go. The Lord is your shepherd, and he will be with you all your life long. Do not prove ungrateful for his blessings, but resolve to hold fast to the Lord with devotion and with true worship. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the uh, promises that we have in Christ, which we claim by faith and not because of our works or our own doing. We pray that you would magnify your name in the earth in fulfilling these promises, that you would bless the nations through, through the promised offspring of Abraham, through Jesus Christ, and that you would add to his number through our children and through conversion of uh, those who are older, 
uh, from the outside. We pray that you would multiply your people, that they would extend to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. You would fill the earth with your glory, even as the waters cover the sea. We pray that you would help us all with a a holy and and healthy resolve uh, to give thanks to you for your benefits and to hold fast to you through trials. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.